Okay, we're back. We're back. It's been a little while. Yeah. We're back in the saddle again. And as you know, it's usually our habit to go from the Old Testament to the New Testament and back and forth so that we have a more balanced approach to the Bible. And so we were in the Old Testament. We were doing uh, the book of the last few uh, uh, minor prophets. And we did those just before we closed up for the year. And so we're going into the New Testament. First John, we'll be doing first, second, and third John. And those letters, they're epistles, called epistles, letters. Letters that John wrote. And uh, we'll be thinking about that as we start out today. And so I don't want you to turn to first John. Because that's where we're going to start. Are you with me? (laughs) We're going to turn to the book of John. Because you can't do first John unless you explain something uh, in John. And, And we have to turn here because... Uh, John has a very fascinating mind, and we want to always remember some of the things that he said. And and so, look at, I'm going to read you from the last chapter of John, we're going to look at chapter 1, but from the last chapter. John chapter 21 says in verse 25, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. That's a good way to end a book. He says, if I, he says, if I could, I'd write and I'd write and I'd write and I'd write until the world ran out of books. <laughs> now, in other words, John's saying to you, I can't tell you all I saw. I couldn't tell why there was so much. Jesus did so many things. And if you think about it, just take one day. Let's take one day. One day when he fed 5,000. Right. So there's a huge crowd, follows him out in the middle of absolutely nowhere in the wilderness. And they listened to him preach all day, and it says he healed all the sick. So who knows what happened that day? How many people did he heal? Hundreds, maybe? Maybe hundreds? And he just, you can imagine walking, watching him go from person to person, and lining up, and just, it's amazing. And you couldn't record it all. You couldn't even grasp it all. And so... John is going to begin by telling us something about God. Now, you got to remember to look at the Bible like this. There was a moment in time when God became human. And he walked among humans. And so, it only happened once. But he's walking, talking with humans, living with humans, and he looks human, because he is human. (laughs) And uh, there is that moment in time. Can you imagine being there? 
you imagine being there? God, who did so many wonderful things, he's right there. He's, he's right there. He's right there. And so what Jesus did, he said, I'm going to pick 12 men, and I'm going to have them follow me for three and a half years. I'm going to teach them, and I'm going to instruct them, and I'm going to pour into them, and I'm going to give them everything I can give them in that time period. So he chose 12 men to be witnesses to what he did. And then there came a time when those men were going to explain what they saw. Matthew of course, uh, was one in, in the Gospels, and Mark is the next one, Dr. Luke the next one, and then John is the last one. And they wrote the four Gospels. Matthew was an expert at detail. Some people have that kind of mind, and he had a kind of mind where he could absorb amazing detail. We sit and you read three or four pages of a sermon, like the Sermon on the Mount. He just took it in and remembered it and put it down. A very gifted person, uh, Matthew was, and he was a detailed guy. Mark, we believe, was the grandson of Peter. And Peter uh, was the action man. Let's go. Let's get it on. Let's get make things happen. And so Mark's gospel, we believe that Peter told him what happened, and Mark wrote it down. And so Mark's gospel is as fast as you can go. Then you go from one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And I, hang on. Here we go. Mark's writing. Or, of course, Peter is driving it. All right. Dr. Luke is the different one. He comes along... Uh, with a spirit of investigation. Because there are things that Matthew and Mark and John might not know. And Luke decides, I'm going to fill in a lot of gaps, and I'm going to do a lot of interviews, and I'm going to find out everything I can find out about the life of Jesus. That's why we have Luke 1 and Luke 2 that we have just been talking about for the last on Sunday, uh, because it's an intense study of the, the, the birth of Christ, what led to it, and what happened when he was born. And that comes from this investigator, Luke. And then along comes John. And who's he like? Well, he's not like anybody. He's different. He's so different that everybody scratches their heads and say, how did he get to be that different? How did he write like he did. Why did he write like he did? How come he's writing in the way he writes? Because we can't quite figure it out. Matthew starts and says, Joseph was told by the angel that baby Jesus is going to be born. And then he tells us the story of the wise men, the magi that come. Uh, Mark doesn't even talk about the birth of Christ. Too much of a hurry. Let's go right on and get to the action. All right? Luke gives us this intensely of the birth of Christ. John does not mention it either. Because he's got a different idea. And it is the unique uh, 
mind of John that we're about to enter into. And this mind is so fresh and so unique that it's got people just baffled. (laughs) I love it. I love to be baffled by a great mind, especially if he was a fisherman. He's a fisherman. He didn't go to school. He didn't go to any rabbi school. He didn't get any education. He got, he walked and talked with Jesus. And that's what he's going to begin to tell us in the, in the beginning of the first John, as soon as we get there. But we got to get this unique writing in John chapter 1 laid out for us. Uh, because he decided, well, I'm not going to talk about the birth of Christ. I'm going to talk about the origin of Christ. Where did he come from? Where did he come from? That's what I'm going to talk about. And he writes what are some of the most sublime passages in the Bible. How did he do it? Well, he's going to explain to us that he followed Jesus around for three and a half years. And he watched him like a hawk. And he actually became... His best friend. How do you like to be best friends with Jesus? I am. He's my best friend. Okay. I hope he's yours. Obviously, it shouldn't be anybody else's. Nobody else can be a best friend like Jesus. But here's John, and when the twelve disciples are talking and moving around, it's always Jesus and John. It's always Jesus and John. And we see the ultimate moment is at the Last Supper. They recline on couches around a table. And Jesus is laying on the couch. And John's laying. He's got his head right there. He's got his head on Jesus' chest. All right? That's close. (laughs) That's close. You put your head on my chest. There you are. You're right there. Okay? You can just. And communicate. And that's what he did. He said quiet things to Jesus right there. And so we have someone who was so close to Jesus. And now he's going to try to say, well, I don't want to talk about when he was born on earth. I want to talk about where he came from. When he, when he showed up here, he'd already been somewhere else. And so in the Bible, we have some absolutely stunning writing if you go to Genesis chapter 1. You know it. You know how it goes. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the waters and God said let there be light. It's an amazing account because of its simplicity it's simple. So here, here's what happened. God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was a mess. And the Spirit of God moved and God spoke. And there, there you got creation. Creation. Explained in four verses. Well, he'll go on a few more and give us a wonderful account. But it's a stunning piece of writing. Now we come to John chapter 1. And you have a matching 
piece of writing. It's just like Genesis 1, where we begin the whole concept of who God is, and the Bible begins. Now here we have John, and he's a fisherman, remember. Don't ever forget, he's a fisherman. All right, and he's going to say things in this most unusual way. And let's look at it. In the beginning was the Word. And so he gives a name to Jesus, and he calls him the Word. The Word. And then he says, it was in the beginning, which he means of time, in the beginning of time. He said, in the beginning, when everything started, God already was. So in the beginning, we, what, 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 when's that? When the world gets spoken into existence. In the beginning, God already was. And we're going to talk about the Word who is Jesus. And so he says, in the beginning, there was a Word. Why did he choose that to describe Jesus? Well, what's a word? A word is an expression of a thought. As I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, and then I'm expressing my thoughts. So a word started as a thought and was an expression of what I was thinking. And the same is true. He's just trying to explain what Jesus is. Well, what is he? He's an expression of God. The mind of God, more than the mind of God. Yes, the mind of God, most definitely. But he's an expression of God. That is, how does God express himself? Jesus does it. Well, Jesus extends out from God into the world. He's extending himself into the world so that he can explain who God is. And so as John's walking around following Jesus for three and a half years, there's a constant explanation going on. This is what God is. This is what God is. This is what God is. Go to the tomb of Lazarus and Lazarus, come forth. This is what God is. Come walking across the Sea of Galilee on the water. This is what God is. All right? He was a man uh, born blind. I was thinking of that. I was looking at a picture of an eyeball the other day. It's a pretty amazing thing, huh? I don't know if you ever looked at a picture of an eyeball. He said, who thought that up? God did. And Jesus did what? There's a man born blind. His eyes never worked. And he said, here, now your eyes work just like that. You wish you could go to the doctor and have him do that. Huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Jesus did all this stuff. And so uh, it's very amazing that Jesus was expressing. Here's who God is. I came to tell you who God is. I'm going to explain the mind of God. So it says, in the beginning was the Word. That was Jesus. And the Word, he says, was with God. And so God was there, and he was with God. And then he said the Word was God. 
And so Jesus Christ, before time began, was with God. And we can't figure it out. You don't get it. Neither do I. Who gets the fact that there is a Father and a Son and the Holy Spirit, and they're all one, but there are three? You don't get it. Nobody gets it. You're not intended to understand it. It's way beyond our comprehension. You're just intended to believe it. <laughs> That's it. So you say, well, I don't quite get it. Then no, God, you're not going to understand everything about God. But he's telling us that Jesus, the one that I was walking around and saw walk across the water, he was way back before time began. He was with God, and he actually was God. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All right, so as the beginning comes, which is time begins to roll, all things were made by him. Without him, not anything made that was made. So, you're going to tell me something about Jesus. Tell me he made everything there is. Now I'm stunned. I'm stunned. I go outside in the summer, we pick, pick a flower, and you say, artists try to copy what Jesus does by the hundreds and thousands. Okay. Look at a rose, look at a lily, look at a big old sunflower, for heaven's sake. What an artist! This Jesus is who made those things. Then we go out and uh, we see a bird. And that's, that's amazing. It's amazing what he did. And then uh, we look at like the human eye. He made that. Right? And we look at all these things. He made this, he made this, he made this. He's creative, he's intelligent. He has this amazing ability to grasp and understand how things work and actually make them work that way. And then you go out west and you stand in the Rocky Mountains. And you say, he made this? <laughs> Remember when I got out there and went to Yellowstone? All I could do was drive down the road to the next thing and I'd say, oh Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You look at that mountain and there's... There's the Yellowstone River plunging down into the valley. And there's a, an old faithful bursting up out of the ground. And there's a bull elk. His horns are so big he touches tail. And everything you see, you think, wow, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Look at what God can do. So he says, now I'm going to tell you that this word made everything there is. He made you, too. So now what do you think about him? Well, now I'm kind of saying, whoa, who is he? What a, what a wonderful mind. What an amazing power, creative source of life. And so now we have a bigger respect for him because he created everything there was. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So he said, there, in him, in Jesus, there was an inner life. 
says, when you were around him, you sensed it, you understood that something inside of him had this uh, vitality. And that vitality uh, just was overwhelming inside of him. If you got it into you, that life became light. Or that is, if you get the life of God inside of you, you understand things that a lot of people don't. You understand how life is, why life is like it is. You understand those things. We grasp life when we get that little life inside of us, it opens our mind and we understand what life is all about. What is it? It's God. It's God doing things. And that's what it is. Light, he says, comes into our mind. And then he says, the light shined, verse 5, in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So, here's an important part. Jesus came down as God in a human form, and he's going to fill our minds with understanding, fill our minds so we can grasp reality, understand what's true. You know, fill our minds with that. But he said that light walked around in the dark world, and they did not understand him. They couldn't grasp him. Some people did. Some people didn't. Some people grasped who he was, and some people didn't. And so, uh, that was what God did. And now John is going to say to us, down to verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we, as John, me, beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. So, this creator God who had the ability to fill a human mind with understanding and life came down here and we watched him. We observed him. We touched him. We did all those things. All right. So, we have this in six verses. An explanation of who Jesus was, what he did, and and it's meant for people like you and me. Now, when I say that, it's because when Jesus was walking around on earth, uh, there were rabbis everywhere, teachers all over the place. Lots of rabbis. And the rabbis were the most boring preachers that probably ever were. Now, I've heard a few boring ones myself, all right? So they don't got the market cornered by any means. But they were pretty boring fellas, all right? And so there are preachers still today that are uninteresting. And when I turn them on, I got this thing, you know. What did he say? I don't know. I can't even pay attention. I remember going to a service once and a guy got up to speak and I fell asleep and I kicked myself. 
I said, Eric, you cannot fall asleep. <laughs> it's not going to look good if you're sitting in the back going... <laughs> when I was a kid, I went to school and went to church with Uncle Ed, and he'd fall asleep and I'd poke him. And I'd fall asleep and he'd poke me. So we <laughs> kept each other awake through the service because that guy was pretty boring too. But there's a lot of boring people in the world. John's not one of them. John's not one of them. And so people say, well, I mean, that's kind of profound what he just said. You bet it's profound. It's a grasp of God, an understanding of God. But it's also simple. I can grasp it, and you can grasp it, we can get it. And so along comes preachers nowadays, and they can't help themselves. They're just too smart. Or as some people want, somebody once said, they've been educated beyond their intelligence. That may be the case. But I wanted to read you <laughs> a passage. Uh, out of one of my books that I was reading, and I read through that, and I thought to myself, uh, if I follow this guy, I'm not even going to start the book of First John, because I'm so bored. Listen to it. Listen to what he says. I wanted to read this. Just a little passage. The mind of the apostle seems to see all things in their principles and essential ideas. The this peculiarity of thought gives rise to a species of realism. All the forces of goodness are comprehended by him under some general idea, all the, and, uh, like light or life, and all uh, the forms of evil summed up as darkness and falsehood. The whole course of history illustrates the conflict of these opposing powers and principles. The character and actions of men correspond to the principle which sways their lives. The, that's it. <laughs> and listen to this. The apostle's habit of thinking in antitheses is an illustration of this peculiarity of his mind. Accordingly, his writings are characterized by a species of dualism. Not the metaphysical dualism which makes evil an essential eternal principle of the universe, but a moral dualism which, is, as a matter of fact, finds illustration in human history from the beginning of the race. How do you like that? Oh, my goodness. I read, I read that and I thought to myself, you kidding me? Stop it. Shut your mouth. They're trying to take something that's simple and sublime and say, well, we think there's a moral dualism in the mind of John. I say, it's in your mind, buddy. It ain't in John's mind. John has his fresh grasp of the reality of Jesus Christ, and he's explaining it in simple words. Fishermen can understand, or people like you and me who just are living here on this earth doing our thing. John is talking to us, and these fellows, and one of the things that guy said, I actually read more of it. It's sort of amusing after a while. 
I read more of it, and he said, well, John, 1 John is very unorganized. I thought to myself, no, you're the one that doesn't have it together, buddy. Of course, he's been reading what? Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He's been reading the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is perfectly organized and wonderfully expressed in deep words that we all go, what did Paul mean by that? Then we come to John, and it's just plain old talk. He's touching on the subject like, who is God, that are profound and deep, but he's also saying it in words that you and I can understand. In the beginning was the word. God expressed himself when Jesus came down to earth and he was full of this intense life energy and when you got some of that inside of you by being with him he took that energy and made your mind work like it never worked before and you suddenly comprehend what life is all about the reality of life is God is the ultimate reality and if we're going to live life like we've got any brains at all, we deal with what? The ultimate reality, being God. And so John speaks to us in these terms that are plain and simple. Now, let's go to 1 John. We're ready to start, okay? Because we got an idea of the way John thinks. And what, what impressed him was Jesus Christ. And so he's going to watch what he does. First John now, the epistle, First John chapter 1. And of course John doesn't say, dear so-and-so, like Paul did in all his life. He didn't say nothing. He just said, I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> and I like people that just want to talk to you. All right? And we've got to say, well, this is an official, I just, let's talk about it. He says, here's what I want to say. <clears throat> now, First John, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Oh, we know what he's talking about, right? Because, right, he talked about the beginning of time. Jesus already existed. And he was going to step into the beginning of time and create the world around him. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and which our hands have handled of the word of life. All right. He says, hey, we touched him. <laughs> I love to be able to say that. I'm going to say that someday. When I go up there, well, I'm going to get a hold of him. <laughs> We're going to touch him. We're going to touch him. Won't that be something? John said, we touched him. We touched him. I laid my head on his chest. I followed him around. I listened to him talk. And I saw what he did. And he told us before, well, all the things he did, there's so much, couldn't write it down. He said, but I want to write the most that I can, but I can't write at all. 
But we saw what happened. We were eyewitnesses. We heard him. We saw him. Verse 2. For the life was manifested. We have seen it and bear witness. And show to you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested unto us. So we touched him. We saw him. We put our hands on him. Uh, we, he's, I had my head on his chest. I touched the holes in his hands. I touched the holes in his hands. And uh, used our senses. John said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw him. We used our senses to understand. And uh, we sensed. He said, the life was manifested, or we sensed the life inside the body. We touched the body. We heard the words. But we sensed a life inside the body. It was manifested to us. We've seen it bear witness. Show you eternal life. Different life than you and I carry around with us. All right? We're born and we're dying from the beginning we get a little older, we're dying a little more, right? You know, die a little bit every day. Uh, Jesus had, he said he had eternal life in him. It was different life than we had. And uh, that, and so we have Jesus, the word, picked 12 disciples. He showed them everything, and they're going to show us. And so we have this person who can speak in simple, plain terms and talk to regular people. Doesn't have to be some genius, right? Just regular people can grasp it. And that's, I believe, the intention of John. To explain to us the mysteries of God in terms that we can grasp it. It's what we need. Okay? It's what we need. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us. Truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son Christ Jesus. So he said, I want you to know that between Jesus and us was fellowship. And we want you to also have fellowship with us and with Jesus. Now, the word fellowship is the one we got to talk about first. Long time ago, I was out with a friend of mine, Al Lang. We were doing repairs for Pepsi, and we stopped at a church. They had a machine there. And Al was always a real talkative guy, and so he went in, and the preacher came out, let us in, took us to the machine. I didn't say nothing. I just stood there, and Al opened the machine, and he started fixing him, and the preacher were chatting back and forth. Then the preacher looked at me and said, so, where are you going Sunday? I told him where I went, and he said, well, we had fellowship with those people, and he started to talk to me the rest of the time. So we got out in the truck and we leave, and Al says to me, What's fellowship? 
soon as he said he had fellowship with you, he never spoke to me again. <laughs> All he did was talk to you. And I said, well, uh, I'm going to try to explain that. Um, what is fellowship? Right now, we put a pretty low tag on it. We say, well, we're going to have fellowship at church. What are you going to do? Chit-chat with a few friends and sit there and gobble up whatever's on the, on the food trough there and drink your coffee and chat around and, you know, enjoy each other's company. And say, is that fellowship? That's not what he's talking about. You comprehend that he's talking about something different. There's nothing wrong with us chit-chatting and having a good time. That's okay. And we can call it fellowship. But what he's saying is here is we had fellowship with Jesus Christ. It wasn't just chit-chat. Okay? It was fellowship. Meaning what? Well, there's a close personal relationship where you talk and where you share feelings. And those are the kind of relationships that he's talking about here. He doesn't say, oh, we just chit-chatted with Jesus for three and a half. No, 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 no. We talked business. We talked about life. We shared together, and Jesus tried to teach us things. And we learned. And so we talked this fellowship. And in fellowship... Uh, you real fellowship, like he's talking about, uh, you note your weakness. When you're talking with God, you don't say, hey, look at me. <laughs> impressed? He's not impressed. He is not impressed. But what do we say? We say, well, I, I got a problem. I got a weakness. All right? And sometimes we're going to talk to God. We're going to talk about our failures. got to talk to God about your failures. And guilt comes along. And uh, it's a constant topic of conversation between us and God. We talk to God. Have a conversation with him. All right? And that, that's a very thing that he's trying to get across here. Look, we talked to Jesus. We told him about ourselves and he told us what was wrong with us a lot and he informed us and we went back and forth and we talked together and he said that's what I want you to grasp trying to get you to comprehend fellowship real fellowship not the chit chat stuff but the real intense relationship that comes between you and God and here's why verse 4 and these things we write unto you that your joy might be full we like you to be happy we really want you to have this inner feeling of happy joy because you've got a friend that you can talk to and you got to tell them the truth all right but if you do it's going to be a wonderful thing we want you to have the same relationship with Jesus that we had and you're going to have it together with us because we're going to talk to you about your weaknesses about your failures we're going to help you with those things 
And so we're going to have fellowship together. We're going to get down to business, talk about what matters. And you say, well, what's that all about? Why is there joy in that? Here's a verse you should memorize, keep in your mind. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. He says, in him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Or that it's what opened your mind to understand life. Here is an explanation of why you're sitting here tonight. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure... They are and were created. John wants you to understand. And that was John writing that too. Uh, John wants you to understand that God made you so he could enjoy you. All right? And so he wants to enjoy you. He says, uh, people are my pleasure. And when they talk to me and when we have these conversations, it's wonderful. I love it. And Jesus was so good at that. Look at him at the woman at the well, huh? right? Was it, remember the conversation he's having? You know, he's talking to her about the living water. Go get your husband. <laughs> oh, I can't. I don't have one. No, you had five or seven or whatever. Well, you know, he knows, and he wants to talk about that. I've had people come to me and say, you know, I've been talking to God all my life. And I said to him, yeah. But do you ever talk about your sin? Do you ever say, this is what I've done wrong? Well, no, I don't have to. Oh, yes, you do. We've got to get down to that business. That's what's important. All right? And so, here we go. This is why people say they can't organize John because he's unorganized. Well, that's just because they're too snooty. They want to write a commentary that nobody understands, like I read to you. There, there, what do you think of that? I think you're dumb. I'm not going to listen to it. <laughs> and what we're about to go to will appear to be disjoint at first. All right, here we go. Verse 5. Then this is the message which we have heard of him. And declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So, God is light. God understands. He is light. He can light you up. But it is also very importantly, there's no darkness. Which is sin. No sin. Sin is a dark thing. We like to do it in the dark. We like to do it unnoticed. We'll do everything we can to keep it unnoticed. All right, we like to do it in the dark. But he said, in Jesus, I'm going to tell you, there wasn't any of that. Any of that. And that, of course, when you think about that, uh, is the only human who never did anything wrong. Only one. 
right? Every other one did. You did, I did, we all did. Adam did. Everybody after did something wrong, but not Jesus. He didn't. And that's a topic of a long discussion some other day, not today. Because he just says, I'm going to tell you there's no sin in Jesus. And we accept that. Okay. So, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Oh, gotcha. He gotcha. He gotcha. He says, if, if you say, well, I got fellowship with Jesus, but he said, you walk in darkness. You walk in darkness. What does it mean we walk in darkness? Well, something that we do as a life habit that's wrong. We're angry a lot. It's a life habit. We're complaining. Complain, 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 complain. It's a life habit. Swearing all the time. It's a life habit. Fighting all the time. It's a life habit. See, he says if you have these, if you walk or you live your life and you do these things, and then you say, well, I got fellowship with God. No, you don't. Fellowship with God is what? Talking about our weaknesses to him and saying to him, look, you know, I, I, messed, I'm, I messed up. I mess up regularly. And he says, if you say your life habits, you say you have fellowship, but your life habits do, don't support that. He says, then you don't have fellowship with God. You can say I do. That's what they said. You say you do, but you don't. You're not telling the truth. So, what are we going to do now? Verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ is so cleanses us from all sin. So you've got to walk in the light. That is, our normal life habits are going to be the things that are right and that are good. We're going to walk in the light. We don't walk in the darkness or a regular habit of our life do things that are wrong. And, and then say, oh, I know God. Right? No, 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 no. And he says you've got to walk in the light. Our regular life habits are doing the things that God wants us to do. So we walk in the light. Then we have fellowship, notice, with one another. Well, what do you know? Personal relationships are messed up by sin. That's what he just said. Personal relationships, you have a hard time with your relationships, they're messed up by sin. That's what he said. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another. If you walk in the dark, you're going to have a tough time with relationships. And then he said, Jesus Christ's blood. And we get over. We'll cleanse us. So how often do you ask for forgiveness? Remember what Jesus said? 
Jesus, Peter said, so should we ask seven times? And what did Jesus say? No, seven times. Seven times 70, wasn't it? That's a lot of times. So it's, it's a regular part of conversing with God that would say, I'm sorry. I really messed up. I'm sorry. I'm just sitting here not doing what I'm supposed to do. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And you can be deceived by preachers. You can be deceived by books. Somebody brought me a book Sunday and they said, we think that there's something wrong with this book. And I opened it and it said inside the cover, this will bring you to divinity. You can join the divine. And I flipped open the back page and he says, he's a follower of Zen, Buddha. Zen Buddhism. And I said, no, this is deceiving. You're never going to be God. All right, this is deceiving. He said, if we say we de- deceive, but if we say I know sin, we deceive ourselves. So, how many people come in, I don't know, tell you something, they tell us a lie. We ought to be able to think, oh, wait a minute. I don't know about that. But when you deceive yourself, who's going to help you then? When you tell yourself a lie, when you say to yourself, oh, that's okay, you can do that. It's all right. And you lie to yourself. Now who's going to help you? All right. So we ought to take verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. So if your life habits don't support it, we lie. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. That ought to go with the next verse. And verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Because Jesus said we sin. We're sinners. Jesus knows we're separated from him. But so you think those three verses ought to go together. And it would be nice and organized. <laughs> and they say, this fellow, he's writing, this book is unorganized. You'll get over it. <laughs> because we got this masterpiece in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Boy, I'm glad that's there. I'm thrilled that that verse is there. So, what do we have to do? We want to have fellowship. We want to have a friendship and a relationship with God. Because that's what He wants. He made you. You exist right now. Who you are, you exist for God's pleasure. That's why you're here. You are here for God's pleasure. That's why you exist. Alright? So, how are you coming with that? (laughs) How are we doing with that? Are we giving him pleasure? I hope so. And he wants to talk. And he's going to talk to us. And when he's going to talk to us, he's going to talk to us about these things so that we can get ourselves. And then it says, if we confess, so we got to do that. I told somebody once that verse, and they said, well, we don't have to tell God. He knows. 
No. We got to tell him so that he knows we know. That's why we confess. So that he knows that we know we've done wrong and we confess. And we can tell him. We confess our sins. Then what we confess, he says, he is faithful. He will do it every time you ask. He will forgive you every time when you confess, I did this, I'll forgive him. Faithful and he's just also to do it. It's okay, he can do it because he, this was his blood that he shed for us to cleanse us. And that cleansing is just. And the only reason it's just is because when I did something wrong, when I told a lie, and when I lost my temper, and when I did whatever I did, uh, <coughs> that sin had to be paid for. And it was on me to pay it. And he said, I'll get that. I'll pay for you. I'll pay for your sin. So that's what makes it just. Because when God looked down and said, uh, we've got to punish sin. We can't leave it go. We've got to do something with it. What are we going to do with it? And he said, well, I'm going to forgive it. Well, it would have to be a perfect person. Yeah, there he is. He's right there. He's got the ability to take our sin because he didn't have any of his own. Take it on him. And for, but the, the best part. So, uh, can you think of every sin you ever did? I do not even know. We do things that we shouldn't do. We said something we shouldn't have said. And this goes right over our head. So if it was up to us to confess every sin that had to be forgiven, we're in trouble. You can't even remember them all. It's such a habit with us. It's such a life burden that we carry around that we do it without even thinking. We do it because we're born with it. That's so what David said. Sin did my mother conceive me. Not talking about his mother. He said, I was in the womb ready to start sinning as soon as I got out. And so it's true of all of us. We were in the womb that way, sinning. So if it was up to us and we had to confess every sin, I don't know if we could make it. But he says, here's what I'll do. You confess whatever you got. Come to me. Talk to me. We'll talk about it. I promise to forgive it. And then the stuff that you can't even think of, the stuff you were born with, the stuff that you carry around in that rock head of yours, day after day doing, he says, if you confess the ones you know, I'll cleanse you from all the rest. Amen. 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 I'll cleanse you from all the rest. I will wash away the whole mess. All right, we got to get rid of the whole mess. You made a, a big old mess, and we're going to get rid of it and wipe away the whole thing. And that's a wonderful thing. Sin messes up relationships. Sin messes up so much. And he said, confess. Keep close to God and have fellowship with him. And what's the outcome? I want you to be happy, says John. I want you to have joy. And so why... 
Are they so confused in that commentary about this, which seems like pretty basic truth? Well, there were people in this time. I'm going to give them a little support. Not much, but a little. There were people in this time who didn't know really just like today. <laughs> a lot of people today who really don't know who Jesus is. They got no idea who he is. All right. And so they would say, well, we don't know if Jesus is really God. So maybe he was just a teacher. And John said, no. He's the expression of God. He's telling us who God is. He created the world around us. He's got eternal life as a life force coming out of him into us that opens our minds so we can understand. He's God. I tell you, he's God. And so accept that and say, he's God, and now deal with it. Deal with it. Why? Because we got something wrong between him and us, and we want to have fellowship with him. And so we really change the meaning of the word fellowship. John got right down to business. He says, it's you and God. He said, I used to do it. I touched him. I listened to him. I talked to him. I followed him around. He was real. These things were true. And it was wonderful what he did. And he saw all those things. And so he has set up now what he wants us to understand. He says that God, I saw him. He's real. I'm explain to you that we saw him with our eyes. And we know these things are true. And he's already said, back in John, what? There's not enough books to tell you everything he did. And if you think about your life and everything he did for you, there's not enough books for that either. Huh? Everything God's done for me, I don't like it. I can't even, before I was born, he was doing stuff for me. Before I was born, he was doing stuff for me. He was arranging that I should be here. He arranged that I should be here from before I was born. My, I'll tell you one story. One story? My father grew up with seven brothers and sisters and four cousins because... Uh, the cousin's parent, mother died, so they just gave him to my grandmother. So she had 12. And um, the 11 would run up the mountain and play and run around. And where's, where's Udman? Where's my father? He's watching the chickens. Sit there for hours. And several of them told me he would sit there literally for hours and watch chickens. For hours and hours and hours. He had something in him that loved birds. Who put it there? Well, God put it there. God put it there. And he's a, over in Norway amongst all these other kids running around playing. Not him. He's watching the chickens for hours and hours. He loved birds when he was born. 
And then he came to America and so forth and tried to farm and failed at it. And he was down at the post office and he saw an advertisement on the wall. Uh, You can work for the National Wildlife Refuge. This guy loves birds. It's a perfect job. So he applies, gets accepted. He's appointed to Cape Cod. They were in an island off the coast on Cape Cod. What a life. What a life. Living on an island out in the ocean uh, called Monomoy. And so they got it made, but he's got one rule. The rule is if they decide uh, you got one year of probation, one year if they decide to change your job, they can do whatever they want. So they come to him almost at the end of that time and say, we're moving you to western New York. And my mother always said, I have learned whatever I am, whatever state I am in, there with to be content even if it's western New York. <laughs> they came from, they came from uh, Cape Cod, and they grew up in Connecticut, beautiful places, and then they came here. You know. Before my father died, he said, I finally understand why I had to come here, he said, because of you. Because you were, had to be there. And that's why I had to come here. I told him, no, there's more reasons than that. But yeah, that's one of the reasons. So you understand that before I was ever thought of born, he was a seven-year-old kid who loved birds so much that he couldn't stop looking at them. And that got him into the National Wildlife Service which got him moved to western New York, five miles from this church. He moved one year. The next year, this church closed. 1959, this church closed. We were here for one year, and the church closed. He said, that's why we came here, so you could open up. And do you know how many people have been touched by that? And how many people are in heaven right now? Because God said, get up there. we got work to do. All right? God knows what's going on. So fellowship with him. That's what you want. All right? So that's John saying, here we go. Uh, let's, let's do this. Let's talk about life. Right. And it's not so confusing like that poor fellow there. He's scratching his head still, trying to think of what to say. It's not so hard, is it? No, because why? Because it's Jesus Christ communicating truth into the mind of John. And John's mind says, hey, I like this. Here's what I think. And he gives us this beautiful, well-written masterpiece John's Gospel. We springboarded that into his letter. Next week, chapter 2. Thank you.